week number two of quarantine, which feels like seven years ago. That was about three months ago. Uh, I preached a sermon to a camera, <laughs> and I guess some of you watched that, called Church at Home. And, and the text that day was Psalm 91, and really, it wasn't about where you were watching from. That's not what I meant by home. It was that we would make our dwelling place the shadow of the Almighty, that we would make our home the presence of God. Because here's the deal. This thing called church can't really fit in your home or in this room. Because we belong to something that's bigger than all of that. And I feel compelled of God this morning to, to take us to the words of Jesus so that we can be reminded today who we are and what we belong to and what we are a part of this thing called the church. And so I invite you please to grab your Bibles. If you don't have one today, there is not one under the seat in front of you. Right. Uh, we have taken all the stuff out from the seats in front of you because wouldn't it just be super weird if somebody got a virus from the Bible? <laughs> so, so they're not there. Uh, so if your phone or tablet or like the old school thing with paper in it, uh, the Bible that you have, I'm going to ask that you hold it up and we're going to say our creed this morning. And I get to actually hear somebody other than just my wife say it because my boys won't say it at home. So like we're going to say this together this morning. I'm really excited about that. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Please turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. If you're following along on our app, don't forget every week we put the text for the week at the bottom of the homepage of the app so you can follow along there as well. Matthew chapter 16, a conversation Jesus is going to have with his disciples that I think is incredibly fitting for us today, a, a helpful reminder of who we are and what we belong to. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse number 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is son of man is a title that Jesus used to describe himself a lot. He's saying, hey, what's the word on the streets about me? And what I think that reveals is, is a healthy thing for us. Jesus cares what the culture thinks. Jesus cares what's going on in this world that he has created. He cares. Now, what we're going to read in just a minute is he doesn't let what's happening in the culture define him, but he is concerned about it. And I think he expects us to know Jesus is concerned about the culture, but he's not controlled by it. Did you know that you can be concerned about what's going on in our society today and not let it change everything you think and feel? Did you know that? Somebody knows that. All right, here's the deal. You're not at home, so talk to me. Like, if you're at home, you can do the thumb thing or the heart, but i got to be honest with you, like, I'm looking for human interaction here, right? Like, we don't do that great at Temple. i got to be honest with you. Okay, I'm going to tell you this story. So, so, like, week two of us doing this video thing, Blake says to me after we finish recording, he's like, man, what is it like just staring into that unblinking lens with no response coming back? And I'm like, 
Well, I preach at Temple every week, so. <laughs> I'm just serious. Um, I mean, I was just kidding. I mean, I'm a little kid. Here's the deal. Like, I really want to talk about that for a minute, but I don't have liberty from the Holy Spirit yet to totally park there. We're going to talk about that more in a couple of weeks because, church, it's something we need to do better. Uh, because this is not supposed to be a spectator sport. Okay, this isn't supposed to be like, ooh, I sat and watched and went home. This is meant to be participatory. So, having said that loving challenge, then I would ask this question. Did you know that you can be concerned with what's going on in the world around you without being controlled by it? Did you know that? And what I think Jesus is saying is, man, I care about the pulse of the culture. We do care about our neighbor. We do care about what's happening in the world around us. And right now, if you're like me, man, it's scary to say anything, right? Because no matter how we say it, somebody's about to get ticked off, right? And it can cause us to withdraw from the culture. I think Jesus is saying, no, we should stay close and we should stay concerned. But we should also know what we believe, right? And so Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? While I'm off script, let me say this too. Um, I debated whether or not to say this, and I said it last service, so I'm going to say it to you. So here we go. Um, there are some evangelicals who believed that quarantine should never have affected the church, and we never should have stopped meeting. And some churches continued to meet, and we did not. And um, and matter of fact, we waited a couple of weeks when other churches started to meet back. And I, and I just want to address this. If the government ever said to me, I believe this, from the bottom of my heart, I hope this is true. I think this is true. If the government ever told me that I could not proclaim what I believe about this book, if they told me I couldn't proclaim what I believe to be true about Jesus of Nazareth, if they told me I couldn't proclaim what I believe this book reveals to be what's right and what's wrong, if that ever were to happen, by God's grace, I believe that I would humbly and respectfully and lovingly defy that government order whatever it costs me. But if the government said, hey, would you mind doing church different for a couple of weeks so we don't make people sick? That's not the repression of religious liberties. Does that make sense? We see the distinction? Yeah? Okay. If they try to silence this book, I'm ready to lose life or limb over that. Right? Doing church inconvenient for a couple of weeks, we can handle that. So there's a big difference, I think, between those things, and that's why we respectfully agreed to do that, and we're going to meet like this, and as the numbers continue to climb, we don't know how many weeks we're going to get to do this, but we're going to enjoy it while it lasts, and we'll see where we go from here, right? Jesus is concerned with the culture. He's just not controlled by it. And so the disciples answer his question, who do people say that I am? They said, verse 14, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And for my entire life, I've read that text like, big dummies. <laughs> like, whoever they is, whoa, that was awesome. Sorry, focus. <laughs> what was I talking about? They, right. Okay, so for years I've thought, whoever they is, I just so want to do that again. I'm tr- this is self-control and restraint. You've never seen this in me before. Okay. They, I've always thought like my whole life, if you don't know what just happened, when I stepped over the rug slid and I just got to ride a skateboard for a minute, if you couldn't see what happened. Sorry. 
I just realized some of y'all think I'm having a stroke. Um, so my whole life I thought, well, they are just idiots, you know, like they don't have a clue. This is Jesus. What's wrong with them, right? And just in the last couple of weeks, I've realized this is a really respectful attempt for the people on the streets to get the word on the streets right. It was a huge compliment to say, hey, this carpenter from Nazareth is the most most influential prophet we've seen in our generation, by the way, for 400 years, John the Baptizer. That was a huge compliment. And good grief for a Jewish person to say, I think this is this is Elijah reincarnated. Whoa, that's big time. Like those of us that played basketball in high school, that's like somebody telling us we're Michael Jordan. P.S. Nobody's Michael Jordan except for Michael Jordan. Sorry, LeBron, not even close, right? This is saying he's the Michael Jordan of prophets, Jeremiah or Elijah or Jeremiah. Good grief. Wow. Right. And then I feel bad for all the little minor prophets like they don't even get named or one of those other guys like or whatever. You know, they're like, I'm not even trying. So this is really statements of honor. Right. And here's what that means. A culture can get a lot right about Jesus and still completely miss the mark. A culture can even think fondly of Jesus and say positive things about Jesus, so long as what he says doesn't interfere with our cultural views, and still totally miss the mark. Because if we believe that Jesus is good and we do not acknowledge him as God, we've completely missed the mark. So the culture says a lot of positive things about Jesus. They just don't get it quite right. And then Jesus asks another question. And this is the question that lingers in this room and wherever you're watching from today. He said to them, verse 15, but who do you say that I am? In the midst of all the noise of the culture, Jesus is concerned with what you believe about him. More than Jesus is concerned with the noise of The culture, noise of the politician, noise of the experts. Good grief. Have you realized how many experts we have all of a sudden overnight in America? Over all the noise of the expert, Jesus wants to know, what do you believe about him? What do you believe about him? Because Jesus has always been more concerned with personal relationship than public perception. Jesus has always been more concerned with personal relationship than public perception. The way Jesus changes the world, the way Jesus changes cultures, the way Jesus changes generations is through one person at a time, through one story at a time, through one addict being set free at a time, through one marriage being restored at a time, through one broken person finding healing at a time, through one person facing depression, finding hope at a time, one person facing anxiety, experiencing peace beyond understanding at a time. Jesus is concerned with personal relationships. He always has. And he always will be. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Verse 16, we read three very familiar words. If you've ever read the Gospels, you frequently see the words, Simon Peter replied. The dude never had a problem speaking up. And like a good solid one out of 12 times, he might have been right. (laughs) But it never stopped him from having an opinion, right? You know, he's just kind of like Brett Faulkner. Like, he's got an opinion. It just might not be informed. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. You're just the first person I saw. I love you. Um, fill in the blank. <laughs> I just watched the spouse go, he meant you. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was awesome. 
Simon Peter replied. He speaks up. And I got to wonder, at this point in Simon Peter's life, is he, like, tired of being wrong? <laughs> you know what I mean? Is he now like, you're the Christ, baby? Son of living God? Right? Like, is he sheepish? I don't know. But he spoke up. You are the Christ. The Son of the living God. Church, here's the deal. That's quite a statement. The whole thing called church that we've been able to see for the last 2,000 years has its entire foundation built on this phrase. You're the Christ. Do we understand the magnitude of this? If you're new to church, you're new to, to the teachings of the Bible, you're new to all this thing, maybe you have always thought that Christ was like Jesus' last name. Christ is not his last name. It's a title. It's a declaration about what they believed Jesus to be, who they believed Jesus to be. Literally translated anointed one, which would be then transliterated into Messiah. You're the one that's been promised since the garden, since the promise that one would come who would bruise the serpent, who would crush him. The serpent crusher, Jesus, you're him. You're the Christ, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Healer, the Advocate, the Mediator, the Mighty One, the Rose of Sharon, the Bright Morning Star, the Alpha and the Omega, the Beginning and the End, the Way, the Truth, and the Life, the Resurrection and the Life, none other than the Savior of the world. You are the Christ. That's what we believe about Jesus. He's all of that. He's every prophecy ever whispered, fulfilled, revealed, in flesh among us. He's the Christ. And here's the thing. If he's anything less than that, then let's go home. Let's be done. Let's find something else to do. If he's anything less than that, we have no hope. Our eternity is not secure. We better figure something else out. But if he is that, it changes everything. The son of the living God. <laughs> Jesus, some people think you're a good prophet, but I believe you're more than that. Jesus, some think you're an influential leader, but I think you're more than that. Jesus, some people think you're a great example, but I believe you're more than that. Jesus, some people think that you're a loving friend, but I believe you're more than that. Nothing less than the son of the living God himself. Amen, church? Do we believe that about him? And here's, maybe you're like, I thought he was going to talk about the church, not talk about Jesus. Our view of church begins with our view of Christ. And if we can fully have a theologically grounded, correct, proper, fully anointed view of Christ, then we will begin to understand this thing called church. And without a view of Christ, I don't know why we do this. This begins and ends with what we believe about Jesus. Who do you say that he is? Peter said, I believe you're the Christ, the son 
of the living God. Jesus replies in verse number 16, 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because this is way above your pay grade. You actually got one right. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God, awaken us to see who Jesus really is. He's revealed this to you, Peter. And on this revealing, on this revelation, Jesus is about to say something amazing. Verse number 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, Petros, which means little rock, a little stone, a little pebble. The little little rocks in the bottom of the fish tank. You're just a little, right? You're a little rock. Not Arkansas. Different little rock. But on this rock, see, it's, it's missing in the English translation, but something happened there. Jesus is doing a, a comparison and a contrast that we miss if we read this quick. As a matter of fact, we can get so confused, we can build a whole religion around Peter. Well, if, if we're confused, we think this rock is that little rock. And he's like, no, 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 I'm talking about the chief cornerstone. The declaration that I am the anointed one, the Savior, on this rock, I will build my church. He alone is the church builder. I've got good friends in ministry who've gotten fired from churches because they didn't grow the church quick enough according to what the board thought they could as though it's some dude's ability to build a church. By the way, there's a big difference between getting a crowd and building a church. Only he builds a people. I had somebody tell me in the last couple of weeks, my granddaddy helped build that church. It's like, well, uh, technically, that was God. <laughs> but it's awesome that your granddaddy helped build the buildings. Well, let's make no mistake. He builds the church. And he doesn't build our church. <laughs> he said, I will build my church. Every now and then people will find out that I'm a pastor. I try really hard not to tell people that because they treat me weird. Or they don't let me swear at him in the store and stuff. It's just awful. So I don't tell people. I'm just kidding. I don't swear at people in the store out loud. Um, but if they find out, they will say, hey, where's your church? And I always want to go, ooh, I don't have a church. Like, ooh, that's creepy. Well, I have a compound with seven wives and what? <laughs> no, this ain't my church. Jesus, take the wheel. This isn't mine. And it's not yours either. This is his. We belong to his body, his bride. This is way bigger than us. It's bigger than our moment in the story. It's bigger than our, our moment in life existence. This thing is eternal. Because what we believe about the church is she has always existed. She became visible about 2,000 years ago. But an eternity past was the church. And an eternity future will be the church. 
She's as eternal as God himself. We just have a little moment in, in this physical expression of it, waiting for the eternal revelation of her. This is his. And here's why I think that word, my church, for Jesus to say that is such a big deal. Because something has happened in the American church where we think this is really all about us. Like we shop churches based on does it have the music I like and the air conditioner I like and whatever. Like we think that's us. God forgive us. And I'm going to say this right now and I'm not trying to be all up in your business or whatever here. But here's the deal. I don't think anywhere else in the world this is true, but I believe in the American church. A whole lot of Americans' church experience didn't change during quarantine because they're used to sitting back with their arms folded and just being entertained. I think a lot of Christians are used to just standing there going, yeah, that's good. Yeah, heard better. Wish I could scroll to somebody else. Some of you right now are like, I can't scroll him. I know, you're stuck with me. I really think this has revealed something that Jesus wants to set his church free from. Because, uh, uh, hear me, we're not that unique for turning this thing into all about us. In every generation, there's been a, a part of the church who's polluted this thing into entertainment or into preference or into themselves. And the most recent place we've seen that in history is the church in Europe. And those big, beautiful buildings that they wanted to be entertained in now stand as museums where people come as tourists and take pictures of those empty buildings. We've seen the legacy of what happens when we turn his church into our church. It's all about him. It's all for him. It's for his glory and for his renown, which means how dare we be a spectator how, how dare we stay silent, man? Let's, let's engage in this thing. We've been invited into the body of Christ. And he is building his church in every generation and in every place. And because he's building it, <laughs> the gates of hell itself will not prevail against it. And some of you know that I'm not very handy when it comes to fixing stuff. And so let me just tell you, if I ever build you a piece of furniture, please don't sit on it. <laughs> if you do, I'm going to have you sign a waiver first and like have attorneys check it so that you don't sue me when you break your neck. Because if I build that piece of furniture, I'm not real confident it's going to make it. But if Christ is building something, it will be unstoppable. It will be unshakable. That's what his church is. And I've mentioned this before, but th this idea that, that the gates of hell will not prevail. Gates don't prevail. Like gates hang on hinges attached to walls or fences. What does that mean? I believe the picture Jesus is painting is he's going to build a church that will storm into cultures, storm into history, storm into nations, storm into stories, and will even charge hell itself and be unstoppable. That's what we belong to. We belong to something that hell itself can't shake, let alone a virus, let alone a recession. 
We belong to something hell can't quench. His church. And then in that unstoppable force, he puts this special authority, this special power, this special anointing that I have to admit, I don't fully understand. But Jesus says in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I don't even understand the magnitude of that. I don't even think I've scratched the surface. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's the authority God has placed on this thing called the church. So what you say about Christ really does change everything. So we haven't shared this yet because we had some big plans of kind of unveiling this. But as we've all experienced the last couple months... Our plans, uh, well, yeah, Corona. So before COVID-19, I plan on having this big plan of announcing to you, guess what? This year marks the 75th anniversary of Temple Baptist Church. 75 years. As I was preparing this week I started thinking about that idea that the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And, and so I started thinking through history freshman year. History class of freshman year, right? U.S. history. Like just think about what this church has seen in her lifetime. In her lifetime. In the life cycle of Temple Baptist Church, think about what we've seen. When this church was launched, World War II was not over yet. This church has not just walked through the end of World War II, but through the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Cold War, the Persian Gulf War, the war in Afghanistan, the war against terror. She's seen a lot. This church saw the end of the Holocaust, the rise of the Soviet Union, the rise of communist China. ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram. This church has seen the assassination of Gandhi, JFK, MLK. This church has seen the civil rights movement, and the fall of the Berlin Wall. And she's also seen Roe versus Wade. She's also seen Watergate, Cuban Missile Crisis. When this church started, most Americans did not have a television in their, own, in their home. For the first 10 years, we were a church. Like, not, not that I didn't always have internet access. <laughs> they didn't have a TV. When this church started, most people had only had cars for a couple decades. That's how much life cycle this church has seen. In the first service, Nikki said, I'm calling you out again. Nikki said, man, COVID, we've never seen anything like this. But we have. In the, in the life cycle of this church, we've seen polio, H1N1, H2N2, measles, whooping cough. And according to economists, this church has already survived 12 
recessions. And here's why I say all that. Because she's going to survive COVID-19 too. (laughs) That's why. You know, it's interesting. The scriptures say that the average lifespan of man would be three score and ten years, which sounds very Gettysburg address. Seventy years. We're in a in our second life as a church. Brand new life. And I wonder how she'll look different in this next chapter. Because here's what I believe. With everything in me, here's what I believe. If Jesus doesn't come back for his church in the next 75 years, she's still going to be doing just fine. She might look different, and I promise you, unless we see a giant change, this culture will be less accepting of her, but she will be no less his bride. Because hell itself (laughs) can't stop what he builds. This is what we belong to. This is what we're part of. And so when it seems like the world is turned upside down, when it seems like there's so many unanswered questions, when it seems like hope is lost, when it seems like there is no way, we're reminded that we belong to something bigger than just this moment. We belong to something bigger than just our story. We are the church. And what we stand on is the declaration that Jesus of Nazareth is the Savior of the world. And He is the Son of the living God. Would you stand with me? I'm going to invite our band to make their way back up. As you're standing, we're going to pray in just a second. Here's what I would say. After I pray, we're going to sing a song that lifts up that chief cornerstone that I just talked about. And as we sing about Him, if if you don't know for sure that you have a relationship with Him, Lance and I will be down here, down front. If you want to come talk to us, we'd love to have a conversation with you. If you're watching online right now, there's a a link next to this video that says, Can We Talk? Please click on that. We'd love to engage in a conversation with you about how you can know for sure that you've experienced the hope of belonging to Jesus, belonging to His church. Because we think He's all that He claimed to be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for doing whatever was necessary to birth this thing called the church. And then to call us to be part of it so that we belong to something that's unshakable, unstoppable, and enduring. With that, would you give us hope that this isn't the end of anybody's story because we belong to you. In Jesus' name. Let's worship Him together.